so that you may believe. Uh, last week, Pastor Russell got us off to a great start in chapter 11 of the book of John. After taking several weeks off during the Christmas holidays, focusing on the birth of Jesus, last week we launched back into chapter 11 of the book of John. And Pastor Russell did a great job with verses 1 through 6, didn't he? He left you hanging a little bit, though, because he was supposed to have done verses 1 through 16, and he only did 1 through 6. So I'm sitting back there at the 11 o'clock service going, knowing that my assignment was 17 through 37, and I'm like, what's going on here? So um, a, co a combination of, of errors from being off on the holidays, the sermon planning team not meeting, um, and just a typo in the schedule. He thought that he was only supposed to do 1 through 6 when he was supposed to do 1 through 16. Now, a little note, and I told him this. He was sitting here at the 8 o'clock service. Uh, we're given about 32 minutes for our sermon, and he went 37-ish last week, and he only did six verses. So we would still be here listening to him work on his sermon if he had done the whole section that he was supposed to. But I'm going to read our passage, his passage. I don't know if it's mine or his. I'm going to read his verses that he was assigned that he didn't do, and then we're going to launch into our passage just to kind of keep us on track. So if you would, go ahead and turn in your app, your Bible, whatever you have this morning to John chapter 11, starting in verse 7 says, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Now, if you remember just, just last chapter or so, a few verses back, you know, Jesus was threatened. His life was threatened. And so these disciples are like, we're not going back there. You know, we're not going back there. You're going to die and we're going to die along with you. Bad move, Jesus. We're not doing that. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he had meant he was taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die. So as we look at these, this narrative of Lazarus, the death of Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus, I couldn't help but think about the many funerals that I get the honor and privilege of doing here at McGregor. Um, it is a blessing to be involved in the celebration of life of so many people. And we call them oftentimes celebration of life because I really do believe that it is a celebration of the life that was lived here on this earth and the transition from this present reality to eternity. Celebration of life. 
is very real, and it's an honor to be engaged in it. Uh, you know, I did student ministry here at McGregor for many years, and then I did young adult ministry. Now I'm working with our 55-plus. I'm not exactly sure where the next place is. They all, all, all of the uh, positions that I've held have been an honor, and they've come with blessings. But I would say one of the greatest blessings is to watch how our life groups, how our small groups rally around those that are hurting, those that have suffered loss, those that have lost a loved one. What a blessing to see the community, the body of believers. I've been told that the character, the mark of a good church is the way that it cares for those that are hurting, those that are struggling. And I think that McGregor does an incredible, an incredible job at caring for those that are in great need. I see in our passage this morning, I broke it down into three key points. Jesus comes with, came with a purpose, he came with a confession, and he came with, a, with compassion. Let's start in verse 17. Jesus came with a purpose. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, but about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. A few things that we note in these couple verses. First of all, there was a four-day period of waiting between the death of Lazarus and Jesus coming. Why four days? Why would Jesus wait? You know, he could have responded immediately. He didn't even have to really respond. He could have just, by his own sovereign will, he could have healed Lazarus. But he chose to wait four days. It's intentionality. Clearly, Jesus was intentional with waiting four days to go see Lazarus. Jesus' delay was very purposeful. It's intentional. One thing for sure, Jesus waiting four days was purposed in his heart to teach us and to glorify God. It would have been obvious to everyone that had attended, and, and the word so many is there was a great gathering. Many people had come to comfort Mary and Martha. Probably a prominent family, maybe wealthy. And this many people, this large gathering would have been present. Could it have been that Jesus' delay was so that the many would have time to gather to see what Jesus was going to do? No expert on death, but one thing that I am confident of, that after four days, that everybody that was present would have known for sure that Lazarus was dead. You know, in in our culture, we kind of take a hands-off approach to death, don't we? Uh, It's rare in today's world where we even have an open casket. You know, generally, the bodies are ushered off and we never see them again. Not so, not so in first century Christianity, not so here with the death of Lazarus. This, this family would have been very engaged in the wrapping of this body, of, of, of doing the necessary burial assignments and putting it in the grave. And those that came, the so many, would have known that Lazarus was dead. He was dead. I think that uh, we see in Jesus' delay that Jesus' timing was perfect. 
He's never too early and he's never too late. He's always right on time. I think one of the greatest struggles that we have as people of faith is trusting Jesus' timing, right? We live in a microwave society. We want it now, right? We don't want to wait. We want it now. I'm sure that Mary and Martha wanted Jesus' appearance now. He wanted, they wanted him to act now, but Jesus' timing was perfect. Not only was his timing perfect, but we see that he was working in the right place. Bethany. Some would say, well, Bethany is no big deal. It's a city. You know, it's no big deal. But I think it was a big deal because you remember going back to those verses that we read before is the disciples had a great hesitancy to going to Bethany because it was on the way to Jerusalem and they feared for their life and for Jesus' life. So the very fact that Jesus was willing to return to Bethany on that path to Jerusalem revealed Jesus' commitment to this family and that it was important because on this path to Jerusalem, there was the many people had the opportunity to gather so that once again, many people could see what Jesus was going to do to so many. See, God's timing is perfect. He works where and when he wants and through whom he wants. Jesus is working. Our God is a purposeful God. There's nothing about the raising of Lazarus that is accidental. It's intentional. There are no coincidences. God has a purpose and a plan. He was always on time and in the right place, working through the right people for his glory and our good. If you can imagine a piece of tapestry, my wife did cross-stitch for many, many years, and I would watch her do this cross-stitch and this beautiful design would develop. Her as the creator, she would make something beautiful. We have a lot of these pieces hanging around our home. But when you look at the backside of that tapestry, it was kind of a mess. It wasn't so beautiful. I think a lot of times our lives are like the backside of that design. You know, God is working, creating. The creator God is doing something beautiful but we only see the backside. And God calls us to trust him for that front, to trust that he is involved in doing something beautiful in his timing through the people that he wants in the places that he desires. We only have a glimpse of what God is doing in our lives. We're called to trust in him. Just like Mary and Martha, we're called to trust in Jesus. And then we see Jesus came with a confession, starting in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in, her, in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, 
Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. We see Mary and Martha here. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were obviously friends of Jesus. Jesus claims to have loved them. There was a relationship. There was, they had spent time together. Mary and Martha react in very much in a, a fashion that we would have expected from previous passages that we know about Mary and Martha. Martha was impulsive. She got up and she ran and met Jesus. Why Mary, being the more contemplative one, she held back until Jesus asked about her. I think that this passage reveals several things about Martha's faith. First of all, I think that there's an honest faith. She says, Lord, and she addresses him appropriately, giving him the authority, the position that he deserves, right? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I think this is in one of those places in scripture that if we had a tone, if we could hear the way she said this, we'd have a better glimpse into really what she meant. But she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit of an accusation. You know, maybe she's blaming. You know, Jesus had the power to heal and he didn't heal. And therefore, you're at fault. I think that sometimes in our lives, we can be guilty of a similar trait in our honesty with Jesus you know, we look at knowing what he can do and we want to blame him when things don't happen the way that we planned for them to happen. An honest faith. You know, parents, oftentimes we want to teach our children honesty is the best policy, right? It's a, it's a, it's a good principle. Honesty is the best policy. Why is it that when it comes to our relationship with God, we think that we need to mask up and put on this front and be less than honest with our creator God? After all, God knows our hearts anyway, right? There's not a thought that goes through our heads that God is not aware of. I think that healing comes through those honest conversations with our creator God, with our savior, the son of God. We, we have those honest conversations like, like Martha Lord, if you, not, if you had been here, you could have done something. Because I think that there is a pendulum swing that we eventually we reset and we are acknowledging and trusting in our creator. I also see in Martha this knowledgeable faith. Knowledgeable faith. She did understand, have an understanding of the Old Testament because she understood that, that there was the resurrection of the body. But she also had been a disciple of Jesus. You know, she believed, she understood she had knowledge of who Jesus was and what God had said. Last week, Pastor Russell said that it's important for us to learn in the light what we're going to need in the dark. How important that truth is. You know, as we become students of God's word, to dig down to the truth of scripture, not truth of culture or not what people feel, but what does God's word say? Because that's that foundation that's going to help us through the dark periods of our life, through the times of doubting and the times of trial. A knowledgeable faith. And then I think we also see this trusting faith. Through her disappointment, even though she was greatly disappointed, she still trusted in Jesus. She believed that Jesus was able and capable. Now, I doubt 
looking at the situation in this passage, that she really thought that Jesus would step in and, and raise her brother. But she believed in Jesus. She trusted in Jesus. See, God calls us to trust him even through those valleys in life, to believe that he is able to do above and beyond what we could imagine or think, as Paul tells us in Ephesians. And then Jesus makes this confession. He says in, in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the fifth of the seven I am statements. And notice, she says, he says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus didn't seek to share concepts or ideas about how to raise one from the dead. But he said that's who he was. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's his identity. I am the resurrection and the life. Not only can I raise Lazarus from the dead, but I am the essence of the resurrection and the life that anyone will receive. Jesus is declaring that he, he alone is the source of life for you and I. In John 10, 10, it says, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. So life, real life is found through relationship with Jesus Christ. Everyone who lives and believes in me, Jesus says, will never die. Jesus. Jesus is the source of life. Jesus boldly challenges Martha to trust in him, to trust that he is the source of life, that he is the resurrection. I think that for some, Jesus isn't the resurrection, but just a means of, of, of religion, of going through motions, of doing certain things. And this morning, the challenge is, is, is for you. As God asks you, do you believe this? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? And for all who believe, for all who believe, they have eternal life. I think there's a big difference between the fear of death and the fear of dying. Now, I know that it could, get, it could get a little gray, but I think that, you know, I have, a, I have some fears of dying. Like, I don't want to die drowning. I don't want to die in an ocean. Um, I'm a decent swimmer, but don't set me out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico and expect me to, to swim to shore, okay? Um, I don't want to die by being bit by sharks either, by the way. Uh, I don't want to die in a plane crash. You know, there's certain things that I, I just would prefer that that not be the way that I go out. You probably are like me. You know, they say that one of the greatest fears of man is the fear of dying. But for the believer, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear death. And I'm so afraid that so many people in our world today have got that wrong that they fear death. They may say that it's just, I just fear dying. 
I'm afraid that there's more fear of death there for the believer than should be. Trusting in our creator that the transition from this life to the next is simply that. It's a transition that God has prepared an eternal home to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says this, those that believe in Jesus Christ appear to die, but yet they live. They are not in the grave. They are forever with the Lord. They are not unconscious. They are there with the Lord in paradise. Death cannot kill a believer. It can only usher him into a freer form of life. Death cannot kill a believer. And then Jesus asked this bold question. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that I am who I say I am? And Martha boldly says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ. But she doesn't stop there, does she? She said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Martha attests, I know who you are. You are the Savior. You are the long-awaited one. You are the one who came to set the captives free. I believe, for Martha, is emphatic. It is, I personally have put my faith and trust in you as the Savior, the Son of God. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin, sent to die because of great love for humanity, to die for your sins on a cruel cross, to be raised again in eternal life so that he could conquer the grave and that we could share an eternity with him. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? And then I see this. Jesus came to this scene with compassion. He came with compassion. Verse 20 says, when, when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who met with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she had, was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We've heard that somewhere before, right? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with them also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how we loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Now, some of you in here literally can't remember the last time you cried. I mean, it's like, it's been such a distant memory. I have no idea when the last time I cried. Um, some of you in here probably cried getting ready for church this morning. You know, you looked in the mirror and you're like, oh, or you looked in your closet like, oh, you know, and tears came flowing. You know, some people just cry. Easily, some not so much. I'm one of the easier ones, although I did not cry this morning getting ready, okay? Um, perspective is an interesting thing. And so as we look at this Jesus crying, you know, we don't have the, you know, exactly, 
you know, why was he crying? Was he crying simply because others were weeping? You know, why? Some of you uh, men in here, um, you know, I'm sure that you got your wives for Christmas since we're right after the holidays. Uh, you know, a great Christmas gift. You know, you, you look, you search, you do all the research, you know, and, and you, th- you, th- you thought, you thought, you know, I know what my wife needs. She needs a new deluxe vacuum cleaner. And you do all of the research, everything that you possibly could do, and you go out and you spend your hard-earned money and you buy that vacuum cleaner, you come home and you wrap it, Oh, no, you pay somebody to wrap it and you put it beside the tree and Christmas morning she gets up and she unwraps that beautiful boxed vacuum cleaner and tears start flowing. And you think to yourself, are those tears of joy? Or are those tears of disappointment? Well, you really don't know. You think they're probably tears of joy because you know that what an incredible gift this is, right? Perspective is an interesting thing. I thought of three different scenarios about Jesus' weeping. First of all, remember this scene. There was, there, there was a lot of crying going on. They would even have had professional mourners. And their type of crying, the crying of Mary, Martha, and the professional mourning, uh, mourners it was a, an intense cry, a loud wailing. But the word used for Jesus' weeping is a quiet, reserved sense of crying, sadness. Three different things that I think about this crying of Jesus. You know, it's, it's an incredible verse, shortest verse in, in scripture, Jesus wept. I think one of the things that we see is that Jesus clearly wept for his friends, his humanity. He was flesh and blood. He felt empathy for those that he loved. He saw this scene, Mary and Martha and the others crying, and it it made him cry. You and I, as human beings, can be that way. We may not even know the situation of the person, but because somebody that we love can be sad, we can be sad. It's that empathetic part of our personhood, of who we are. And I think that there is a a real reality that Jesus was crying because of his own humanity and feeling for people that he loved was real. You know, Romans 12, 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Jesus wept. Jesus wept, I think, because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Another thought is that Jesus wept for their lack of faith. You know, when Jesus comes to the scene and he sees this intense mourning and the tears and he being the savior, it's like, I have all of the ability to change this reality. Where's your faith? Where's your trust in me? You know, Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I think that possibly Jesus looked at this situation and he said, where's your faith to believe that I'm able to do? And then also Jesus wept for the effects of sin. 
Remember, this is a funeral. One had died. Death was brought into the world through the sin nature of Adam and Eve through the fall. And now we all die. Quite possibly as Jesus at this funeral, the death of his friend, this sin sickness of the world is a reminder to him and it just saddens him and Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. I believe that Jesus' tears express his humanity and his genuine love for Lazarus, Mary and Martha and his family, but quite possibly because of the sadness of the sin sickness of the world. The reality that sin has led to our physical death and that if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, that there will be an eternal damnation. Jesus calls us, calls us to come to him, to respond to him and to allow him to be the Lord of our life. And this morning, I ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God who was sent to this earth to die for you? If you can't answer affirmative like Martha, I challenge you this morning to investigate that truth. Ask myself or one of the other pastors here, let us talk with you. Let us share with you what the gospel says, what the scriptures teach us about who Jesus is.